we turn in scripture this morning to the book of the Acts of the Apostles, the account of the giving of the Spirit. I would usually say you can find that on page such and such in your pew Bibles, but every one of you probably has a different Bible. Open it to Acts chapter 2, or just listen as I read the first 13 verses, the account of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Will you join me in a time of prayer? Wind of God, fill the house where we are gathered today, announcing your presence and assuring us that you are and will remain with us always. Fire from heaven, come rest on the heads of each one of us, stirring us up filling us with a holy passion for you. Breathe new life into our tired, sometimes even lifeless lives. Breathe new life into limp and limping relationships. Sweep far into the hidden corners of our lives, the corners we have purposely kept dark, and clean them of all that does not belong there. Blow away the chaff we carry with us, the stuff that doesn't matter, the things that are no good, the memories of past hurts, the heartburn of long-held grudges. Show us your power, not so much in cataclysmic events, but in simple little ways that leave your footprints or your fingerprints unmistakable. Assure us of your abiding presence 
even when we feel all alone and forgotten and unimportant. Engage us in your harvest, Lord, helping us plant seeds and care for seedlings and encourage growth and witness fruitfulness and participate in harvest. Spirit of the living God, come rest like a flame on each one of us. Inflame our passion for you and your kingdom. Set us on fire with enthusiasm for mirroring your righteousness. Light the way through us to true and equal justice for all. May the warmth of your love be the motivation behind our concern for others, all others. May your flame fuel our resolve to be good stewards of all that you have given us and entrusted to our care. And may you keep us busy stoking one another's fires so that your fire is never extinguished and its light never goes out. And with that same constructive flame, will you burn away all our unjustified anger and purge us of all our destructive selfishness and destroy all our unforgivable indifference. Help us never to underestimate the power of your word by limiting our effectiveness to our own power and not yours. Great physician, please, we ask you, heal the diseases among us. And in this time, the diseases all around us. Heal each of us whose bodies need your touch. We remember Christy and Dale and Betty and Isaac and Brianna and pray you will touch each of them and lovingly work in the bodies of those with the COVID-19 virus and malnutrition and malaria and other diseases that affect the human family. Comfort those who grieve the loss of loved ones, a group perhaps never before as large as it is in the world right now. Comfort Karen as she mourns the death of a sister-in-law and her mother-in-law as she mourns the death of a husband and the last of her four children. Comfort those who have lost incentive, who have lost hope, who have lost perspective, who've lost their way. Lord God, comfort the family of George Floyd today and people of color across this nation and around the world who have suffered much and who are angry, justifiably angry, and upset, and fearful. We pray, Lord God, that you'll send the fire of Pentecost to stop the fires that burn in our cities right now, even our own. Calm people. Promote protest, but not violence. 
Help us to learn to accept one another and love one another and forgive one another and live with one another. Father, we pray for those in Midland who've lost everything but their lives in a flood. And we pray that you will bless those who've lost their livelihood and incomes and give them patience and give them help. Help us to see and believe that there is a lot we cannot do, but with God, all things are possible. Forgive what we have done that is wrong and what we have left undone that we should have done. Help us to see what in us needs to be forgiven and who around us needs our forgiveness. And in your love and mercy, wash it all away. Now speak to us again. Use a human preacher and his fallible words to communicate infallibly your word and your truth and your way. Through the one who is the way and the truth and the life, we pray. Amen. Happy Whitson Day. Maybe no one has ever said that to you before. And maybe if they had, you would have wondered, as you are wondering now, what in the world that even means. Maybe you've never heard the word Whitson Day. It's really a, a beautiful word, not just because of what it sounds like, but because it has a beautiful picture in it. As far back as the fifth century, New believers were brought into the church by baptism on Easter Sunday. All of them waited till Easter to be baptized. But not all of them could make that date. So those who couldn't be there on Easter were brought in at the end of the Easter season on Pentecost to be baptized then. They wore white robes symbolizing they'd been cleansed through the sacrifice of Christ for them and their faith in him. And the Anglo-Saxons started calling it White Robe Sunday. Gradually it got shortened to White Sunday and from that to Whitson Day. A day when people wore white robes and acknowledged they had become Christians. Whether you call it White Sunday or Whitson Day or Pentecost, it's a day to remember the power of God and the gift of his Holy Spirit. And it's a day to remember that there's a lot of work for the church to do yet. While you've heard the word Pentecost a lot, maybe you don't even know what the word Pentecost means. You notice when I started reading, it said, when the day of Pentecost came, they knew it was Pentecost, even though the Spirit hadn't been given yet. It wasn't just the day the Spirit was given. Pentecost means 50th. And it refers to the Jewish harvest festival that began 50 days after Passover. 50 days after Easter, the harvest began to be gathered. That's why we call it. Pentecost. It was a Jewish harvest festival, and the celebration of it informed the believers they had a duty 
and the power through God to do the harvesting. And here's how it happened that first time. Suddenly, a sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. First of all, the Pentecost we're celebrating was introduced by an audible sign, something to hear. And I want to be clear about this. It was not just the sound that was to be heard, the violent wind, which remarkably filled the house. When's the last time you heard wind in your house? It didn't just call them to pay attention to that sign, but they heard it to remind them to listen to the one from whom the sign came. It was miraculous. All of a sudden, without any warning, there was wind in the house. The whole house was full of wind. Suddenly, a sound like a violent wind filled the house where they were. And for almost ever, all of them had known that wind was always present when God came. It was always a symbol of the power of God. Remember Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones, prophesying as he was commanded to the wind, the air, the breath, the spirit of God. That was a vision for Elijah. It was happening in real time now. God was pulling together the bones of faith that had been strewn all over the place and no longer lived, pulling them together as they belonged to each other and putting flesh over them and breathing new life into that faith. And spiritually speaking, the very same thing can happen to us here, now, today. A sound like the blowing of a violent wind can fill the environment around you. And that's said to all that day, and it says to all this day, that God was there. Imagine the challenge they must have felt. 120 or so of them. Challenged by God through Christ to change the whole world. An impossible mission, utterly impossible. I am going to begin next Sunday, Lord willing, a series of messages on the Beatitudes of Jesus. And I've decided to give the overall title to all ten of the sermons. This title, Living Right Side Up in an Upside Down World. I've been on this world a while, and I've never seen it so upside down as it is right now. I have never had so many people say to me, I've never felt so often myself, what is happening to our world? How upside down 
is that world? How upside down are we? And what is right side up in such a world? That's the challenge of being a Christian. And the power of having the Spirit will enable us to see and know. I suspect that the violent wind sound was still circulating around them when they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. That's the second sign of Pentecost, something visual, fire. A sign that just like the sound said, you're not supposed to walk around and say, look at me, look what I got, look at this. But instead, what does this mean? Fire. Passion. Apparently, as nearly as we can tell from the text, a single fireball appeared in the middle of the room. Or a single big tongue of fire was just there. And then began to fracture and split into as many pieces as there were heads in the room and rested on each one of them. A single source for all the fire, one fire that came to rest on each of them. And while there's a single source, it is applied to each. Not a select few, not just several, but everybody. Do you remember? Everyone in the room that day, no doubt, did. Do you remember Moses and the burning bush? God was there. Do you remember Elijah on Mount Carmel when the fire came from heaven and burned up the altar and the sacrifice and the water and everything? God was there. Do you remember the coals from the altar that touched Isaiah's tongue and enabled him to speak? God was there. Fire always accompanied God. Those little tongues on each of their heads was not just fire. It was not just passion. It was God. See, Peter Wagner, who taught missions at Fuller Seminary for a long time, said, nothing could be more indicative of the need for each person. And I can't, I'm saying this now, I can't overemphasize the importance of the words for each person. Nothing could be more imperative or indicative of the need for each person who is to be used by God to experience his power live and live in his presence and be characterized by his holiness. Tongues of fire separated and came to rest on each of them. Again, on each of them. I'll say it once more. On each of them said that God was passionate about them, about us, about you, 
about me being passionate about his passion. That means each of us needs to be passionate, not just give it a shot or try a little bit once in a while, but be passionate about living right side up in an upside down world. Each of us needs to be passionate, passionate, fire-burning passionate about doing what would please God, not just what we want or what we like or what we prefer or what we demand. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. When they heard this sound, now they must have been outside by that time because others heard the sound. When they heard the sound, what was the sound? The wind? Was it still blowing in the house? Were the flames on 120 or so heads crackling? Was it their voices? Was it their words? Was it their language? When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard them speaking in his own language. The third Pentecost sign was an oral one. It was first audible, the sound of that violent wind blowing in the house. Power! The second one was visual, tongues of fire resting on each of them. Passion! And now oral the folks outside saying, we all hear them speaking in our own language. Personalization. Sad fact is that that has given rise to nearly endless discussion and debate about what was the precise nature of the miracle that happened that day with their speaking. Were they speaking other than human tongues? Were they speaking tongues, languages they didn't know, but the people they spoke to knew? Were they speaking their own languages, and the people who heard them heard them in their languages? While I suppose a constructive discussion could be held on those questions, I would urge you to avoid them, because they sidestep the real miracle that God was busy at work in as many ways as possible, trying to get as many people as possible to hear and know and understand the gospel. And the crowd said, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? It means God wants the world to know. And part of the proof is not only in the, the fact that they heard the gospel. And I don't know, were they still wearing those flames of fire when they were outside? I don't know. But the other part of the proof that day that God wanted them to hear and know, see Peter Wagner, whom I quoted a minute ago, said it was because they were Galileans and nobody expected anything powerful and convincing from a Galilean. In fact, he put it this way. They were the hillbillies of the day. 
regarded as culturally backward by many Judeans and undoubtedly by the Greeks as well, but the Galileans were the evangelists. The instruments chosen by God to take the good news that the Messiah had come to people from all over the world. To draw a present-day parallel among white European Americans, it would be roughly equivalent to West Virginia coal miners attempting to evangelize the Massachusetts Institute of Technology Alumni Association. Now, if God deliberately chose linguistically challenged people to be his witnesses, he can, and he will, and he does use us. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Is the world saying that around us? We hear you saying, telling the wonders of God, showing the wonders of God, reminding us of the wonders of God in ways that we can understand. Does this upside-down world hear us and see us trying as hard as we can to live and speak and be right side up, caring, loving, sensitive, sympathetic, forgiving, generous, patient people. In Jewish tradition, there were three signs of the presence of God. One was a wind, one was fire, and one was inspired speech. And all three were present that day. Three evidences of the reality and the presence of the three-personed God. A sound like the blowing of a violent wind. What seemed to be tongues of fire that rested on each of them. And while the word isn't used there, the sermons that day outdoors seemed to be in other languages. It, it all seemed to be something that it wasn't quite that. Which doesn't make it untrue or false or a mirage or an imagination. It means it's bigger and better and more important than it even looks. It's more sensational than wind and fire and miraculous linguistics. It was the Spirit of God invading the world and invading the church and invading believers. The same Spirit who is present and active and at work right here. And when I point with my finger to right here, I'm pointing right in front of you wherever you are right now. Remember these words of Charles Spurgeon. If we do not have the Spirit of God, it were better to shut the churches, to nail up the doors, to put a black cross on them and say, God have mercy on us. If you ministers have not the Spirit of God, you had better not preach. And you people had better stay at home. I think I speak not too strongly when I say that a church in a land without the Spirit of God is rather a curse 
than a blessing. If you have not the Spirit of God, Christian worker, remember you stand in somebody's way. You are as a tree bearing no fruit, standing where a fruitful tree might grow. If you do not have the Spirit of God, but Pentecost means you do. Let's pray. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Here in this place and in every place where there is someone listening to the sound of our voices, fall fresh. Melt us, mold us, shape us, use us to make a difference in this world and to start turning what's upside down, right side up again. For Christ's sake. Amen. Receive now the blessing of God. Go in peace. And may the God of peace himself give you peace at all times and in all places. The Lord be with you all. Amen.